and welcome to the WeirdThings.com podcast. I'm Andrew Maine, and joining me, as usual, is Mr. Justin Robert Young. Hello, everybody. Mr. Brian Brushwood. I waited until I heard my name to start talking. That was very good form, sir. Very good form. Gentlemen, I have next to me a briefcase. Excuse me while I go pick this up. See, that's... Those are the sounds of a real briefcase. Now, what I in my mind, it's one of those those um, aluminum sided ones that that would you know you're holding you have a million dollars in there. Clearly, you have a million dollars in there. It is an aluminum briefcase, though. I will give yes. you that. Inside That's this briefcase, I have a portfolio which I am now sitting down onto the table. Inside this portfolio is a dossier. Is it, oh, I, I thought it was going to be a million dollars. Go ahead. Not this time. A dossier of scenarios and situations pulled from the headlines. Pulled from frontier research, pulled from arcane parts of the human psyche. These are questions. These are scenarios. These are things that I decided I would challenge two of the greatest minds that I could find that also happen to be in the lower two percentile of the planet. Nonetheless, we work with what we have. These are questions I'm going to be asking you. All right. Once you answer them, you have to commit because you may find that they're going to reveal things about your character that you're afraid to admit to. Things about your belief system, which you may think is rigid. You think you may be made of science, but perhaps not. Perhaps inside of you, there is a believer or someone very, very afraid to believe in skepticism is just a retreat. Are we re- That's a pretty crazy dossier. <laughs> Are we ready? Did it yeah, okay. let's rock it home. Let's man. go. Bring it. I'm, Do it. I'm diamond hard. All right. Brian, let's start with you. Uh-oh. I want you to imagine for a moment that you took a different path, okay? Instead of becoming the, the, the sideshow freak performer that you are. Thank, yeah, thank you. Yeah, yes. The, the, the roving gypsy carnival worker type person that you happen to be, that you had finished. You pursued your interest in sciences all the way. You got your master's degree, your PhD, a postdoc. You became quite a celebrated scientist. I know we're doing a lot of imagining here, all right? Right. And you found yourself as an advisor, an advisor to presidents, let's say, okay? Your right, job this is, is... Okay, go ahead. I'm ready. This sounds like dangerously like being respectable, but go ahead. Okay, yes, perhaps in some circles. Deal with it, Brian. So your job, your job as the president's science advisor, he, president, whoever it may be, our current president, what have you, this is a politician. This is a person that has to rely on people they can trust for many, many different things, not just political policy, but science policy is very important because... You know, you're running for a campaign. You can't read Discover Magazine all the time. You know, watching Shark Week alone is problematic, and you don't get a lot of points in the polls for being that big of a science wonk anyways. So your job is pivotal. Your job is very important. And also part of your job is ethics, is to Uh understand the ethics of science and the ethics of the consequences of these things. And that's always been a very controversial issue. We look to our leaders expecting them to have this – you know, college professor level knowledge on these subjects when in fact they're regular people like you and I. Well, not like you and I. Right. They're successful. Probably. Yeah, exactly. So you get called into the Oval Office. All right. The Marines open up the door, they shut the door behind you, the door is locked. The president is sitting there in front of you. And ironically enough, on his desk is a dossier inside <laughs> of a portfolio. I'm sensing a theme. <laughs> and he does, tells me, he sets up a scenario where I have to meet Andrew Maine, who no, has not gonna get a briefcase that with a dossier. Okay, sorry, go ahead. He opens it up. He looks at you. Dr. Brushwood. 
I've got some very seriously bad news. Like, all right, how yes. bad could this be? Global warming bad? And worse. What do you mean? He pulls out some papers, said, we've kept this a secret. We've tried to keep this, you know, on the down low. All right, this is Pentagon stuff. I've had other scientists vetted this stuff. It's been passed on to me. The CDC's brought me this stuff. The astronomers have bought, brought me this. This is the deal. One. And it's like, there's not just one thing. There's a couple things going on. Oh, there, great. There is this pestilence that's affecting crops that we're seeing all across the planet. We're going to look at like wheat and rice, things like that. Production for next year are going to be cut in half or more. Holy right? cow. There is no sign of being able to figure this thing out because as soon as we think we figured out one thing, something else comes along. Food production for the next five years is going to be reduced dramatically. You're like, that's bad. He's like, oh, no, it gets worse. Astronomers have told me there's going to be a tremendous solar flare, huge solar flare. Okay, It's going to bake off part of our atmosphere. It's going to fly, fry electronics. It's going to cause even more famine. We're looking at billions of people dead. So this so we, is like okay. There's no there's no disputing this. Like like absolutely no, billions with an S at the end dead. There is no not, dispute as far not as napping. what's concerned. Go ahead. Okay. I mean, in the minds of the president, in your mind, there is no dispute. He's like, all right, we've got to figure out what we got to do. Survival is paramount. Survival some, for like the two of us in the room is paramount. Well, that's kind of implicit, you know. I mean, right. You know, the guy's calling the shots. You know, they're the first ones onto the space arc. So you're right. going to be okay there. Okay, good. So he's like, all right. We've looked at the letter of the law. We've looked at interpretations of it. And there's a lot of stuff that we could do in there. You know, one of the things we think we need to do is we need to maybe uh, cut down the birth rate. You know, this is now one of the things could improve, you know, give us a 10% increase in survivability is if we start saying, you know what, career felons. Can't have kids. Mm. Go ahead. Okay. Like, all right. Habitual drug offenders can't have children. We tell them mm. no. Sorry. Uh, what's What's sad is already I'm thinking of specific people who I know that suddenly will not be able to have kids. Keep going though. All right. Define habitual. All right. So right, right. Let's ask right there. Right, right, let's ask right there. What's your instinct? What do you tell the president? Uh, well, I mean, as far as what's going to be popular, uh, those are going to be popular things. And, and right. if there's one thing, you know, the, the presidency needs to do is, is remain popular. So it's like, I'm just like, you know, Hey, let's, let's ixnay on the ooth tray and, uh, you know, let's, let's see if we can spin it, a, a you know, slightly more positive than the one I'm hearing right here. Cause these sound like very effective things, but, uh, you know, I'm advising the president now I've got a legacy to be thinking about. I don't know that I want to actually have him making those policies. Yeah, wait, hold on, wait, but you're not a political advisor, Brian. You're a science advisor. You know, you, you got to be advising on science, baby. Well, I mean, well, here's the, I mean, what's it, what's it matter? So they have the babies and the babies don't make it, but at least you're not the guy who told them not to have the babies in the first place is what I'm saying. All right, let me, let me put it to you this way then, okay? You're the science advisor and the CDC, FDA, all that, they've been bringing you this data and you got to go into the president and tell them this stuff and tell them your uh. possible solutions. And, you know, your eggheads, this is one of the things they're going to tell you. Looking at it as purely objective science types, they're going to say, listen, if we're talking about population control is one of the things we have to look at, this is an option. All right. They're talking about what other options might be on the table. So we got sterilization. Okay. 
you know, abortion is the idea that you're going to all of a sudden maybe maybe you're going to provide cash incentives to people to not have kids. Are you going to start saying maybe maybe we need to think about, you know, these elderly because, you know, one of the biggest drains when you have a natural disaster isn't the healthy people. It's the sick people. Ooh. So does compassion become this thing you throw out the window at this moment and you say, listen, survival of the species is most important, survival of this country. What do you say? Justin? Well, oh. Go ahead, Brian. No, Brian, go no, ahead. No, no, no. Well, I'm chickening out. I mean, it's, I want to hear what Justin has to say because I actually no, have a weird no, thought No, here. no, no, no. Sorry. No, you're your feet are the fire. Okay. Okay? You're the science advisor. <laughs> God the damn it. Okay. All right. All right. Well, here's, here's what's and, messed up. And, and I'm your college room. <laughs> you're confiding to. And I'm, I'm telling you to step up. Okay. Well, then let me do up. this. As my college roommate, uh, yeah. I, before I visit the president, Mr. Uh, Mr. President Maine, uh, I, I turn to Justin Robert Young and I say, look, I'm kind of sure. messed up here because there was a, uh, uh, there was an economist back in the, you know, 60s and 70s named Julian Simon who said, that and this is at a time when they thought overpopulation was a huge problem. And this guy had the crazy idea that don't worry, the more people you have, they'll just figure out ways to make it work. And everyone's just like, you're obviously insane. All right. And so, I'm, yes, but imagine, that's, that's what's messing me up. Imagine that you're the one who's discovered this. Okay. Oh, all right. All right. Okay. And, and that's why we use these scenarios like there is this blight that's out there right now. You know, there is this thing that is happening right now. What do we do about it? Yeah. Listen, as, as your uh, college roommate, Brian. <laughs> but the advisor to the advisor. Listen, but you have a responsibility to let the president of the United States know that you have a ticking time bomb on your hands. Okay. All like, right. Uh, granted, you need to step up and you need to make sure that something is done about this or at the very least. That the people who can make a change know about this situation. No, I've got it. I've got it. You do. You get every citizen to do the the. We're going to privately call it the wheel of sterilization, but they don't know. They don't get Man. to find out. They get a quote unquote procedure done, and maybe they get the real sauce. Maybe they get the. Uh, you know, maybe we take a little peek at the IQ. Maybe look at the past history, and you know, they don't know. But it's like they went in. They checked out for a couple of minutes and then they got sent home and they're welcome to try until their heart's content to conceive and make it go. But you know, you never know. Well, Brian, the reason I ask you this question is over the New York times website, there's a blog called the tyranny lab by John tyranny, really cool guy. I had the pleasure this summer of going on a hike around a waterfall with him and his wife in Yellowstone. He, he brag about he it. Put up an item. <laughs> Listen, I didn't make the waterfall, all right? And by the way, just to make it clear, this is not tyranny. His name isn't like tyrant no, tyranny. No, it's tyranny. It's tyranny. Okay, okay, got it. So anyhow, John's got a really cool blog, and it's called Tyranny Lab. A lot of different science issues, things like that. Now, it's not the New York Times, which, as we know, is such a bastion for conservative thought and right-wing thinking. You know, it's, you know, Glenn Beck's paper of choice. He put up an item, which was from another blog – uh, which basically was pointing out some essays and papers by John P. Holdren, who happens to be the president's current science advisor. And it's causing a little bit of controversy because Holdren was a co-writer along with Paul Ehrlich, who was, let's say, the arch nemesis of Julian Simon. Who yeah. Now, these papers are somewhat ironic because they're dealing with the consequences at the time in the 1970s of global cooling because at that point in time, there was a global cooling trend and Holdren was writing up what he thought might be 
policy that we might need to enact because of all of the problems that would happen from global cooling, you know, the dust, the soot, the farms failing, all these things, massive tidal waves or, you know, other sort of things that could be caused by this. And among the things he talked about was the possibility and the legality trying to figure out justifiability under the Constitution for methods of population control. All of the scenarios I suggested to you were things that he brought up back in the 1970s before he was a science advisor of how to do, how to deal with this kind of crisis. Now that we think that there's global warming and you know, much more evidence in that case, and it's you know, a lot further along, a lot more you know, people are on board with that, and he is now the science advisor for the president. Is he going to be pulling out these sort of ideas? Holy cow. So this is already – we've discovered his playbook. <laughs> well, yeah. it was a playbook from 30 years ago. And right. obviously no, here's the, the, only the right wing is having a field day with this because you know pulling up some of these very, very uh, frightening situations. Tell me this. Anywhere in that playbook to reduce population control, is there a plan – for broadcasting 24-7 footage of really old people having sex. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure there's a National Endowment of the Arts grant for that somewhere. (laughs) Yeah, I think it was was marked as prohibitively expensive, but it was one of his pet projects. Well, here's what I want to know. It's like, since all of these were answers to the scenario of global cooling, doesn't that mean now that our problem is global warming, that we should do the exact opposite of all the things he suggested? (laughs) Let's get it on, baby. Come on. Perhaps there is something there. Justin. Yes, sir. Would you ever describe yourself as impulsive? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Yeah. Have you ever... I'm going to... Just go out on a limb here and assume that you've cohabitated with a female that you're not married to at some point. Um, like paid rent with a girl? <laughs> Slept in the same bed, perhaps? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, certainly, yeah. Sure. Ever Why not? in the middle of the night get hit by her and the next day she apologizes or you accidentally hit her in your sleep? Sure, yeah. You've done this? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You've hit a girl? Uh, you know, hey. Sometimes Aaron now, Fist, what, what, uh, <laughs> knee in the back, something like that. Brian, like, well, I mean, you, you're you're not talking about the colloquial phrase of "I'd hit that" or anything. You're talking about fisticuffsmanship. No. We're talking, yeah, yeah. You're talking. Somebody wakes up the next day at the Shiner, a bruise, or whatever. No, you were asleep. Never, no, I respect you never all kick, women. Kick somebody accidentally, give them a little like rabbit punch in the kidneys at like three o'clock in the morning when you think you hear something, or maybe you're having a really little, uh, little, crazy little dream fidget, about nineteen thirties pugilism. Hand no, I, no, no. I mean, it's like I've gotten up really fast and headbutted somebody who had the misfortune to be looking down at me. But that's that's the closest you hit a girl, Justin Robert Young. Oh yeah, well definitely, sure. Oh. Why not? Uh, no, I mean, I, I, I've always, I've kind of been like a sleepwalker too. So Have you? Are you are. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Bit, you're a sleepwalker. I was when I was younger, yeah. Like, how far did you walk when you were a sleepwalker? What did you do? I tried, I tried to, like, walk out of my house. Uh, I, we actually, my uh, house all through high school had to have a lock that had a key on both sides. Like, it didn't have the knob on the inside because at night they would take out the key so I couldn't just you, unlock the door More evidence that you are a wolf boy, okay? I, yeah! A wolf boy? So... Justin, we've established now that 
when you're asleep, you're sometimes prone towards violence, and you can actually get up and start walking. Well, I think prone towards moving limbs, not necessarily violence. I mean, I think I, I don't think I actually I, I hit somebody in front let's of me. I think did. I was just let's say flailing. you did. Let's say in the middle of the night, girlfriend. She wakes was up. pretty annoying. Let's say middle of the night, girlfriend wakes up, taps you awake. She's got a black eye. Okay. <laughs> should you be liable for that? I mean, should you know police be no. called in? No, God, Lord, no! Are you kidding? All right. Well, what if what if she wakes up or she wakes you up and there's a knife in her chest? I mean, not not liable for that either. Well, Brian, I'm glad you went there because uh, well, I'm not. What if, I, what, I didn't murder that woman. <laughs> what if you? What if she was in another room and you sleepwalked into the other room and you did this? So wait, are we fighting? Why aren't we in the same room? She went to sleep watching TV on the couch. We're just sort of explaining that there was some sort okay. of... Okay, all right. So I, I, I went and murdered or stabbed somebody. Whoa, stabbed hold on. Nobody, nobody said the M word. We're just saying she had a knife in her chest. I don't know why you suddenly jumped to that conclusion. Oh, I know. Hey, silly me. Uh, all right, wait, hold on. So I stabbed somebody? I don't know. Did you? Yeah, did you? Uh, confession time here. Well, I don't know. Wait, wait hold on, guys. Uh... Wait a minute. So I, no, I'm not liable. Okay. Okay. So yes, liable no. to black eyes. No liable to knives and no, chests. No, I said I wasn't liable to black eyes. Wait. So you're trying to. So we bring up a very interesting question: Is who, if you sleepwalk into, it's one thing for a limb to flail and to hit somebody, but for you to walk into another room, something yeah. is telling you to walk. Something's telling you to get up, go into that room. Something, you know, to, to pick up an object or whatever to commit a murder, to do this. You know, that's not just my arm fell asleep and flung over and hit you. Sure. So. Well, but, but all right, here, because we're assuming that, like, I am me and I did not mean to stab a girl in the chest, right? Like, I'm not, like, we're eliminating the part of the scenario where I could be fibbing to get off the hook from the cops. Well, you've just described okay? a crime of passion, too, though. No, I haven't. I described a, a crime of, of sleepy dust in my eyes, and I think that I'm going to go cut up a delicious uh, six-foot party hoagie to have at my uh, fictional three-year-old daughter's birthday party, and meanwhile, I'm accidentally putting a Ginzu in a living girlfriend's chest. I did not mean to do that. It's just something that happened. All right, well, here's the question, is at what point do you decide, okay, that person is responsible now? Like, what kind of crime does it take to where you call BS on uh, on somebody using the sleepwalking defense? When, when you can prove a pattern of violent behavior, if it's just if it's just somebody who is a sleepwalker and has you know maybe some wacky things happen, they end up on the roof. So one you time get one freebie. You get a freebie there, right? Is that no, no? I, I would even you say I would pattern. go farther than that. I know because I would say if if it's a, a a crime like that, then it's highly unlikely that it just happens at night when things are, are crazy. I bet you this person has a history of violent behavior and you can track it back to the point that there were warning signs before this nighttime so, stabbing. So, the reason you, it was, so for you, it's all about what they did in the last few years. If, if they got in a bar fight in the last few years, you're going to jail. If they got caught Jealous, yeah. naked, covered in jello, asleep in the highway, you're scot-free. The, re Probably just, yeah, the reason silly. I asked this question, gentlemen... Okay. There's an article we put up on weirdthings.com. 
deals with some of the latest research into sleep. There's a new scientist article which talks about some of the very mysterious, odd things about it. And they talk about a group of Italian people that apparently haven't slept, but they find out they actually do these little micro naps where their attention just for milliseconds drifts into a sleep state, then back, but they don't visibly look like they're sleeping. And it talks about a few different, very, very odd things about sleep in their mind, you know, in that mid area between wakefulness and being asleep and how sometimes we just sort of zone out. One of the little fun factoids they talked about was in 1988, a Canadian man went on trial for the attempted murder of his parents-in-law. He drove 23 kilometers across town and then attacked them with a tire iron and a knife. And he was acquitted on all counts because it was determined that he was sleepwalking at the time. Nah, Since totally then, guilty. That's, totally that's guilty. Totally this guilty. This is why Canada's lost four hockey teams. That's because they can't get things like this. Two words. In law. That's where you lost me. The moment, if it was his own parents, I'd be like, that's a tragedy. He thought he was carving a turkey. You say parents in law. Yeah. Well, Plus, but no, you, uh, you, but, know, you, you know got me drive 23 kilometers. Yeah. Okay. So he got in there and, and he slept, start his car, and then he slept, like operated his turn signals. And he slept, uh, stopped at the stop sign. That's retarded. So what you're saying then is because it implied, you know, the actions implied some sort of knowledge of what he was doing. If, if he if yes. he was if dreaming he was carving up a turkey, it's fine. The real crime is in dreaming up the intent. The real crime is a thought crime, is then thinking about wanting to murder somebody. And that would make you guilty. And that's why we should punish people for thought crime. Is that what you're saying, I, gentlemen? Is that your point? No, I, I I can't believe I'm saying this, but but I gotta I gotta dial over a, on the Justin side here. <laughs> this is this is too much for me. I'm suddenly uncomfortable with this, this whole line of discussion. <laughs> I'm 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 not. I'm I'm sticking up for an advocacy group that does not get enough attention, which is the people who accidentally stab their girlfriends on the couch. I think that you get lumped in with psychopathic murderers like this Canuck. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, everything gets all hinky. Well, there you, if, there you have it. Justin potentially setting up his own defense. And <laughs> it's going to be the, 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 the hoagie sandwich carving up defense. Well, let me ask you a question, Justin. Sure. Let's say that you found out that your coffee drinking, your chronic okay. drinking of coffee... Perhaps sure. the asbestos in the offices over there that I did not tell you about has taken a toll on your young heart. All right. Going to the hospital. Like, sure. Justin, we got good news for you. Under this new, yeah, un- good news. Under this new single payer medical system we have, we can do a heart transplant for you that's totally free. Done. But it's not a human heart. All right, all right. Still totally in, but let's go ahead. Let's let's get the fine print. It's a pig heart. Hmm. Have you ever done a pig heart and do a human transplant before? Yeah, we do it all the time now. Really? Yeah. It's like a twice a day kind of thing. Yeah, it's easy. And, and, it and by the way, just to make it clear, they they really prefer to be called peace officers nowadays. I don't know. <laughs> Inappropriate. Inappropriate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've crossed the line. That's right. right. I'm sorry. You'll, yeah. you'll get your so turn. So anyway, yeah, just go ahead, doctor. Get that cop heart right yeah. into me. Come on. No, so, we, so we got this swine heart. Okay. And oh, even better, even better. Let's say, you know what? We don't make this pig heart so great. I mean, this was a charming pig. But is we actually, what we did is we went into the DNA of the pig. We tweaked a little things. We put a couple little DNA strands in there. And it's actually a human heart that happens to be in a pig. 
Okay, even better. I'm, I'm liking what I'm hearing. You like that, Brian? That, sure. What, was it grown in the pig, or did a human donate their heart to a pig that just kept it warm for Justin? <laughs> it was the pig was born with a heart that was the same as a human heart because we went oh. in and we changed the DNA of the pig so it can grow a human heart. I'm in. Sure, I was in back when heart. it was a pig heart. I, I know. So was I. You know what? Well, I'm was... in if it's a human who has a pig heart and he wants to donate his used pig heart to me. All right. Two questions for you here, and, and we're going somewhere with this, okay? So you're okay. Both of you okay with the human heart and the pig. You're okay with one. You had no problem at all with just putting human DNA into a pig to grow a pig heart. Now you're going to pop it into your I actually, I actually just designed on Threadless my I Got Porked t-shirt All right. that I'm going to wear around. Side question, would you eat the pig too? <laughs> oh my God, would I? I would eat that pig so fast. That would be my coming home party. I want that exact same pig on a spick. Uh, but in a, in a in some backyard with tiki torches, everybody's throwing around mojitos. It's gonna be the best time everybody's. See, life. for me, it would We're be more of like pig. a communion thing. It's like the circle of life thing because right. as <laughs> my life has been saved, so too shall I eat from the pig to clog the arteries as and the cycle begins again. That's All what right. I think. No, you know what? You wanna know why we do it? Because it's a friggin' pig. All right. All okay. Right. We're humans. This good question. All right. Now. Let's take this into a different direction now. Okay, so we both, you guys have no problem. Animal Kingdom is there. It's there to be your pharmacy. You have no problem with it. Yeah, wait, <laughs> yeah. wait, wait a minute. Hold on. Wait, does the pig that we're eating have human DNA in it? Well, no, that, yeah, it was it. In order to have a human heart, we had to put oh. human DNA in there. That was the heart sure. it came from. So we're cannibals now. Whatevs. Huh. Well, maybe a little. I mean, we'll just say that the DNA for the heart, you know, it, once you take that heart out, that's maybe the only human part. But so you, you're okay with that? Well, as yeah. long as the meat I'm eating is, you know, pig meat, but the idea of human DNA of like, hey, dude, you, you've crossed that. You're a cannibal. You know, that's right. a little dark. No, no, you're not a cannibal. The thing's a pig. Unless it looks up to you and tells you that's all, folks. We're fine. All this right. thing ain't talking right. and singing. I'm, I'm good. All right, Brian, let's say that whatever that noxious fuel you use for your fire eating starts to take a toll on your brain. Okay. You go Starts, to right. You you go to lift up the torch, and you notice a tremor in your hand. Okay? Right, not from fear, but from some sort of muscular problem. Right, yes. memory just isn't what it used to be. You're having trouble trying to I, remember things. I see where this is headed. Yes. All right. So yeah, that that same pig. You know what? We can tweak the DNA a little bit, put a couple patches in there, and we can have it grow some extra brain cells. Yes, I'm totally can, in. Pig you're brain in with me. that. Pig brain you're, me, yes. You okay with that? Yes, yes I am. What if these pigs are a little bit smarter than usual? Smarter than me? Done. Well, I'm just saying as we start putting this into the pigs, right? And these pigs pigs are pretty smart animals. Oh, but like, dear. Now you're talking about like the pig can turn and say, please don't take my brain out. And then I'm like, sorry. I mean, maybe it doesn't quite go that far. But, you know, we're like, wow, we, we certainly boosted their intelligence a bit. You know, these, these pigs are displaying some behavior that we just didn't think we would see from. Well, pigs are already smarter than dogs and cats who we love very much, but have the benefit of, of being, you know, pleasant to touch. But now we've boosted that even more. So are you, a one, okay with, you know... Watch out, dolphins. <laughs> You're next on the list. Coming up. After that, toddlers, it's all going down. Yeah. Um, you know what? I'm still okay with it because we gave it to them. We can take it away. That's my motto. Wow. So you have your child listed as your designated organ donor? Uh, my child's not a pig, all right? And doesn't have... <laughs> 
split hooves, <laughs> as far as I know. As we, exactly. as we refer to the Kabbalah for our advice on all of these matters. <laughs> so, so basically, you're saying, listen, we could boost this. Inte- what if it starts displaying like freakish human level intelligence? You know, I <laughs> Well, like, then we did you hear that? No, I didn't hear that. No, it was just oink, oink, oink. <laughs> we put him on the line, dude. We, I uh, we, oh, what'd you hear? I heard oink, oink, oink. We take the smartest of them and we offer them, you know, the pick of the trough to uh, to help us out on the line, is what I say. Okay. Interesting. Now, as you probably know, and, and oddly enough, the starting point for this story came from Pravda. Yeah! The article in Pravda talks about, uh, it, it starts off with, uh, the lead was, uh, and this was kind of like, a, the, the headline really didn't get into it. The lead in the first paragraph, what was going on here, was a little bit odd. Um, starts off talking about how in some rural province, province, uh, province of China, a dog gave birth to, like, kittens. I totally believe All right. that. All right, so. Sex kittens. Not, not a whole lot of that. <laughs> There wasn't like, go see this other paper here, here's a link or whatever, and then it gets into like talking about, it sort of speculates in this very conspiracy fashion as it talks about other areas of research into putting human DNA into animals and vice versa, and then it says, could this have been, it was like, this guy's trying to write a plot for Fringe, you know, could this actually have been a secret project? Well, I don't know how successful they've been, but all my extensive research on the internet has shown there have been multiple attempts of people trying to put DNA into animals, human DNA into animals. Oh, we, we and we can do that quite successfully, but to point at which you have a dog give birth to kittens, um, <laughs> not so much. That that part hasn't happened yet. Which also, I mean, when reading that conspiracy theory, I'm sitting there thinking, like, couldn't the people who figured this out have afforded their own dog? By the but, way, just to make it clear, uh, when I said attempts to put human DNA into animals, that was a bestiality joke. That's where I was headed there. Oh, See, I'm just yeah. I got you. So, gentlemen. Yes, sir. We're out on a boat. A fishing boat. 15 miles offshore, what have you. Fishing for marlin. Mm. In the water. Going along. Cracking our jokes. As usual. <laughs> Making ourselves laugh, having a merry time. And all of a sudden, the line starts to go, <laughs> we've got something. Okay. Taut. It's taut. We see this thing spinning back there, and there is a marlin on the line. Okay, and this is a heavy thing. This thing maybe weighs five hundred pounds. Right. All right. We look back there. We see this thing pop out of the water, and it's majestic as it pops out of the water and goes back in and dives in. And we're fighting with this thing. Okay, Brian's going to be first. He's sitting in the chair. He's got the rod. He's fighting this, trying to bring this thing in. And the way you do it is you sort of try and wear it down. We take turns. Take turns doing this. Reel it in a little bit more slowly, trying to tire the thing out, trying to get it to the point of exhaustion so that we can finally pull this thing up into the boat. We get a little closer, and all of a sudden we notice a slackness on the line. Uh-oh. Have we lost it? All right. All right. What happened? We pull in a little bit further. We pull it in. Pull it in. It's still some, there's still some weight on the line. It's not, it doesn't feel like it broke free. And then we see blood in the water. Pull in, we reel this thing in, gets closer, we see more blood in the water, more blood in the water, but it's obviously not, you know, what we thought we caught. We pull up out of the water the head of the marlin. 
So something bit off the last half of it. Tell me this happened in real life. Please tell me this happened in real life. Brian? Yes? Today, dreams come true. Yeah! Yes! Dude, dude, that would be effing amazing. Can you imagine? Like, you're just, you're, it's the triumph, it's the thrill of the fight, and then freaking you're like, oh, I won, but it's like easy, so this is unsatisfying, and I'm kind of sad on the inside. This is a hollow, oh, dear God, what am I looking at? Like, that, 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 doesn't it just sound like the movie remake of The Old Man in the Sea? Like, instead <laughs> of the shark slowly eating it, a gigantic beast just snaps it in half? I would, uh, I tell you what, man, I'm hitting the gas and just zooming as fast as I can back to land. You're not going to maybe stick around, throw another line in the water? Did Did you miss the part where it chomped off half a marlin? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I saw Jaws. Well, you know what's even better is you can actually watch a video on YouTube. No! Okay? And... They've got this giant black marlin on the reel, okay, and a mako shark eats it as they're trying to get this. So if you watch the video, you can actually see this. They're fighting with the marlin. It is, like, majestically it, it leaping into majestic. the air. It is majestic. Like, literally, I just watched it leap out of the water, and that's the first word I thought of was, that, that's majestic. And I thought, ha-ha, that's why Andrew used that word, is because it's clearly majestic. Yes. And course as they get this thing in closer there's like wait a second something is amiss this thing is leaping like right next to the boat it's like six feet off from the boat and it's leaping all the way out of the water doing its fish floppy dance the whole way in slow motion this is amazing yeah it's fantastic i mean it's just it's amazing and so here you got to think this marlin is like swimming along mining stuff he's got the whole ocean marlin's got the whole ocean he's like all right life is good I've got this like really pointy nose, which is pretty cool. Okay, I can go eat all these little tiny <gasps> fish. Oh my god! Weather is nice. They just pulled in the head. It's just Weather the head. It. Oh Weather. my god! This is not right. It's like because they show they cut out the part. You don't see. I mean, it's they're it, it's a success story, and they're pulling it in, and they're pulling it out of the water, and then Brian, there's no paint, body. Let's, Brian, let's paint a mental picture. Understand this thing is right off the boat. Okay, this fish, this is like, you know, you could whack the thing maybe with your net. It was jumping up and down just off the bow of this thing. And then like when they were pulling it up, I thought they were I was waiting for the rest of the body to come out. And it but it didn't come out. Because it was eaten. (laughs) Yep. I I wished I wished I was friends with this guy. So when they called into port to explain what happened as soon as he pulled into the dock, I could be blasting over the Marine Park speakers Fish heads, fish heads, roly-poly fish heads. <laughs> yes! <laughs> eat them up, yum. Yep. You know what? I am going to eat just a bit of it. I'm going to lean over, and I'm going to take – I'm going to do the double dip second bite after a mako shark. Like our, our saliva will mix or whatever. Oh, what a sloppy second. Come on, dude. Boy. You – how many times can you say, oh, yeah, no, the mako shark bit off his piece, and I had a little piece of my own? Sure. I'm not uh, saying I'm not smearing the blood on my face and wearing it there like war paint for the next week, but I'm not going to eat it. Well, it's the shark. You're, you're eating after it. it is what it is, and it's and it's sushi. It's the freshest sushi you'll ever eat after a mako shark. You're gonna you're <laughs> gonna have a, a shark sloppy seconds after it's already been eating seal and giant squid. Exactly. It's gross, Brian. You've crossed the line. <laughs> Everybody knows that seawater appropriate. In another nothing note, survive in there. Everything's uh, fine. 
this is also from Pravda. Uh, they have nice. they show some photos of I describe excuse me in quotes a hellish sea monster that was cast ashore in Guinea, and you see what looks like this Italian American frightening large carcass that's just totally obliterated, but it's huge. It's huge, and it's got this. And they say describe it as having four legs. They describe it as having like in this long beak. Now it's it's a it's a whale. I can look at this. I'm no I'm no ocean expert, let alone I'm no whaleologist. Yes, I'm but, uh, I'm, I'm not a seaologist here, but uh, it's a whale. I'm pretty sure it's a whale. But you know why call it a whale when you can use the phrase hellish sea monster? And we love sea monsters, but given the fact that you can have you know just five feet away from your boat as you're pulling in a 400 pound marlin, a mako shark, eat it. <laughs> Bite it off, leaving you just the head. Uh, why invent stuff? Yeah, dude. Well, because we don't get to see this stuff all the time. And maybe yeah. that's just going to be a cultural, uh, you know, forgive the pun, but sea change mm-hmm. is that as we, you know, as video proliferation, not only in terms of recording, but also distribution and stuff like YouTube becomes more and more, uh, you know, a part of our daily lives. Like I saw like on YouTube now they have the, the one billion per day served yeah. uh, little thing there. Like now that everybody does it, then maybe we don't. You know, maybe the, our affinity for the Kraken isn't as much as it once was because we can see just what kind of monstrously insane badasses Mako sharks. Well, are. you know, oh, go ahead, Brian. I'm sorry. Well, no, I was just going to say it seems to me like we got the same we got the same freak lust that we've always had, but the difference is we have a much more effective mechanism to transfer those images. They're still just as amazing and as unbelievable. Like how amazing was watching that video and seeing the head of the, of of the Marlin come out, but we're spared the, uh, the, the poor copy, uh, the, the poor copy machine, copy of a copy of a copy scenario we get with verbal tales. You know, we, we were spared the, the, um, uh, the, uh, the distortion that happens with that. Anyway, so Cheeseburger in Paradise comes on, and all of a sudden we feel the line go slack. Well, you know, you brought up uh, Krakens, Justin. In, of course. Which, in, in lore, appears to be a giant squid. And, you know, Brian, you talked about the danger of having things retold over and over again. There is a school of thought that says that perhaps when, uh, before whaling reduced the population of whales quite dramatically, and that you could look across the Pacific Ocean and see these things much like herds of animals in Africa on the savanna or what you have, you know, buffalo in the United States prior to its, the first kill-off there, or the most recent kill-off, that is, that they were so populous that they were everywhere. And that may have created an environment where you would have had giant squids because some of these creatures like squids and lobsters – they don't have a set lifespan like we do. They basically live as long as they can keep eating. And when you have such a hugely abundant food supply like whales, they can keep going. And if we manage to maybe get rid of some of that ridiculous scientific whaling they do and increase whales like we did with buffalo in the uh, you know, plains now, buffalo. You know, you know why? It's because you can buy buffalo burgers. You get giant mm-hmm. squid burgers, everything's fine. No. Think about this. If we bring back whales to the population level they were before, are we going to start seeing giant squids? If if we can figure that out, I'm so for it. All of a sudden, I am like super Greenpeace, save the whale, 
How protect the Kraken food. Yep. Protect the Kraken food. Protect the Kraken food. How much did you pay to ride a whale? Like a big old saddle on the back of that thing. Dude, I know where there's a sea park. Let's sneak in and do it. I know. Come on. Are we going to talk about it all our lives? <laughs> That's right. We're going to do it. <laughs> now, have any of you played with some of the new search engines like Wolfram Alpha? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Now, Wolfram Alpha is in its early stages. You know, Bing, which they call itself basically, a, what is it, a decision engine? A decision engine. Okay. What the goal, what they're trying to do, what Stephen Wolfram and Wolfram Alpha is trying to do is basically develop this technology for trying to figure out what we want to know. Not, not to index information and tell us where to find it, but to be able to answer questions that haven't been answered before, to take different sets of data, to look at these, and to come up with results. Kind of like how the human brain works, but it's such a such an early, early stage, and it's very, very open to criticism, which is fair enough. Wolfram Alpha kind of had a big sort of launch. It got attention much like, you know, the theoretical Google competitor Cool had, and then it sort of disappeared. But Wolfram Alpha will probably be here for a while because they keep trying to make this better and better. But eventually, eventually, as these things start to understand human language, as they start to understand what we mean when we have sets of objects and sets of you know, situations – could we start bringing our moral questions to them? I could totally see that. I could totally see a plain text question of my brother died. I'm trying to evaluate what this means for my life, bringing up a bunch of the finest philosophers in history speaking to essentially that exact same question. And I think that could be huge. It would be like a Mary, personal, a personal cousin, priest. Her, Mary's wife. Yeah, exactly. Yes. How long till I hit it? Yes. <laughs> Are the daughters of age and virginal? Yeah. So you say absolutely yes, Justin. You? Uh, yeah. No, I, I think it it certainly stands to reason. I mean, anything, every, any, and everything is data, and if if any and all data can be quantified and processed, then there certainly is you know room for getting those results spit out at you. Well, here's well, the here's the difference is that we're talking about a scenario where you ask a question and a, essentially a voice from the grave of a human philosopher comes back to you. What I think Andrew's getting at is is at what point do we take the advice of robots that synthesize No, 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 no that, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that like if if you if let's say uh you can ask a computer what the moral code of your society is and whether you are in the right or the wrong, right? Is that what you're saying? So if, if it's like, hey, is it okay to uh, punch my woman in the face if she keeps talking? Like yes. it'll blame it on being asleep. Yeah, and blame it on, yeah. It's okay to stab my lippy girlfriend and then blame it on some retarded example of a hoagie, uh, you know, while you're sleepwalking. You know, it, it, it'll be able to uh, synthesize data on you okay. know uh, so, crime statistics and, and personality and surveys and give you something that is a moral bellwether for your time and place. So we're all okay with the idea. We're willing to entertain the idea that at some point it becomes advanced enough that we can take to it these sort of moral questions. Sure. Yes. I mean, look, look, look once, at who you go to on a daily basis. What, what, uh, how, how ridiculous your friends are right, that we ask our opinions. Let's, let's move this a little step further then. All right? So... This stuff gets smarter, okay? And it gets smarter. Maybe it's not flat-out AI-type stuff where it's having a conversation with you and it tells you that it you know, wants to be human and why can't it be loved and whatnot. But it's cogent. It asks, you know, it has intelligence. It does have 
good conversational abilities. You can you can say, well, what do you think Plato meant by this? And he'll say, well, Plato said this here and here, which is sort of interesting, but a lot of people overlook this. It's coming up with new sets of information that we didn't really know before that you would just eerily human-like in its ability to do that. And let's say it gets really, really good at this and smart. But just a quick side note. Here's the one problem. You both are familiar with Liza, that computer program that will pretend to have a conversation with you. Pretend? Yeah, it'll go like, hey, how are you doing? Oh, no, I thought we great. were talking. Yeah. I mean, that's what's the you pretending? Know. Well, many people fall for that, though. And the people have created like little Liza bots to put into uh, uh, discussion boards and to put into uh, chats. And it's what, amazing what kind how long. Of chats? What kind of discussion boards would you be talking about, Andrew Main? It, it doesn't even have to be the kind that you're used to and you frequent all the yeah. time, even generic <laughs> ones where people are so desperate for companionship, a simple robot that you know maybe has seven or eight canned responses can fool them into thinking they're talking to another person, which either says something about the sophistication of the ro- of the technology or how unsophisticated we are in our regular communication. How, how boring people yeah. are. So anyhow, we as- assuming we've got some real genuine AI that's like, pretty smart and can answer these questions for us. Does there become a point where, you know, Google, you know, we talk about the Google, we talk about, you know, what Google is and Google is partially this organization of people, but Google is also what Google does. Does there become a point where, you know, I don't know if we necessarily deify this intelligence, but does there come a point when the president asks for a science advisor to come into him and advise from what he is supposed to do about this global famine that's about to wipe everybody if out. If your question is, does the president replace Brian Brushwood with a robot? The answer is absolutely <laughs> yes. Did you not hear my suggestions? So there you have it. We yeah, make our, well, we, it, would, it would almost be irresponsible for somebody in a position of power not to consult, uh, you know, something. If we are assuming that it's that powerful, and, and it, it can synthesize information on that level to at least not have it be part of the discussion, its opinion. Like, I think that's irresponsible. Here's, here's how I think it's going to go down is it's not going to be a, a synthesis model. There's not going to be a machine that understands anything, but there'll be a machine that looks at poll data taken from, you know, millions and millions of points of data about how Americans of this demographic or that demographic feel about different issues and eventually become so good that it can predict within a reasonable degree of accuracy how Americans of any particular demographic will feel about one de- one decision or the other, whether it be the guilt or innocence of a person or the right or wrongness of a presidential decision, in which case, once that model is down, we effectively have the same thing, only without right. any kind of that AI. Is- that is a horrible, horrible, horrible way to try and use that kind of technology. Yeah, God. What are you talking about? People- you, you've, ma- you've made James Carville cry. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Dude, we, we, once that thing's made, I'm if I'm in political office, I'm using it for every decision I make. It's deciding my hair color. People do that, that now. That, I think we. Yeah, I think that the, pretty much every politician tries to run that by you know in that that sort of says, okay, I'm no longer going to be a leader. I'm going to try and follow what you think where the people need to be. But what did exactly. Wayne Gretzky teach us about this, Justin? Well, Wayne, uh, the the Wayne has taught us that you don't go to where the puck is; you go to where the puck will be. And so if we're trying to look for what's moral or what's right, then we need to be thinking about not what okay, what's next okay level. now. Yeah, what we is, need to be what so 3,008, not so 2,000 and late, Brian. <laughs> boom, boom. <laughs> so, uh, gentlemen, 
Uh, we've covered a lot of issues here. We've decided that Brian Brushwood is totally happy with putting the fate of humanity, forced sterilization, abortion, what have you, in the hands of a cold, cruel machine intelligence that is informed by the least common denominator. Yes, yes. Justin yeah. has tried to explain to us how it's okay for him to commit acts of violence while he's asleep but if anybody else does it it's murder so these uh, things any other canadian yeah these things don't apply to him um no. which the moral ambiguity there there's nothing ambiguous about that we understand that while also mentioning the fact that he had such a troubled childhood and adolescence his parents literally <laughs> had to lock him in the room house they've decided not only would they take the heart from a pig they would eat it too and love to do that and stick its brain in ours and the yeah. majesty of a marlin leaping into the air isn't enough for their bloodlust. They actually have to see its head delivered onto the deck of a boat. And nibble after. Seconds. Yeah. There you go. What more could you ask for? I'm going to say this has been pretty weird. <laughs>